0: I just didn't want my kids to grow up thinking that you have to consume alcohol to be able to engage with other human beings and to be able to enjoy yourself. For us, it's not about marketing. We walk everything that we, we talk. With 3% of the population, 97% of the population is actually determining the outcome of this thing. So the reliance on the 3% to do the work, the heavy lifting and the work for the 97 again, is pretty unfair, you know? Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers
1: all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Here's your host, Bushy. Welcome to another special episode of Ad to Cart. I'm Bushy and I'm joining you from the land of the terrible people. I acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of the lands that we work and we share stories on. And I invite everyone, including our Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander listeners, to join us in our e-commerce conversations and community. On Ad to Cart, we always try and feature a diverse range of guests and experiences. I think it's really important that we showcase all the different backgrounds, and it keeps it interesting for all of us if we're hearing a wide variety of voices. By now, you may have noticed that in the weeks leading up to the referendum, we are featuring Indigenous e-commerce business owners and leaders. I feel it's really important that we hear from those with lived experiences on the issues that we're discussing as a nation. It doesn't mean that they're experts or they represent all Indigenous people. They have firsthand experience as both part of the Indigenous and the e-commerce communities. Now, slightly clumsy segue, I've been off the beers since February, with the exception of a couple of beach breaks where I couldn't resist the sneaky afternoon schooner off the tap. And I must say, it's been pretty good. I've been running again, lost a few creepy dad bod kilos, and retained most of my mates along the way. And I've actually been having fun sampling the huge range of non-alco beers that are out there right now. Compared to five years ago, there is so much choice and interesting non alco brews. And one of the most interesting of those non-alcoholic brewing companies in Australia is today's guest, Clinton Schultz, or should I say Dr. Clinton Schultz, founder of Sober Beverages. A Gamilaray man, a psychologist, former chef, and co-founder of Sober Beverages. In 2017, after two years on the non-drinking wagon, Clinton was frustrated at the lack of adult drink options that weren't alcoholic, and launched Sober in response, a pioneer in the non-alco space. The business was also on a mission to champion Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture, native foods, and well-being, and through their unique range of brews, helped to reduce the stigma around socialising sober. From producing limited edition drinks in collaboration with musicians like Picking Duck, to opening Australia's first dedicated non-alcoholic brewery, Sober is Growing Fast, just like the category. In this chat, Clinton shares his tips on how to be a better listener. He also shares what businesses can do to move away from just ticking boxes when it comes to supporting First Nations people and provide some valuable insights on the upcoming voice referendum. So thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Signet, here's our conversation with Dr. Clinton Schultz, Founder and Director of Sober Beverages. Clinton, welcome to Add to Cart. No,
0: thanks for having us, Nathan.
1: Great to have you here, especially we're recording this on the 31st of July, end of Dry July. Is that a peak season for you?
0: Yeah, Dry July is always busier. It, it actually, over the last few years, has probably faded off a little bit, to be honest. There's so many um, special months now that I think that <laughs> uh, people's interest in Dry July is probably a faint way that we know we've got fab fab february dry july october dry january so it seems like every second or third month is a a dry month now so it's kind of spread more across the year which is actually better for business than just having this one big peak and then things falling away
1: i can imagine it feels like it's not so much of a big thing to have one month sober it feels like it's become more into part of the consciousness especially of younger generations
0: yeah, definitely. We've we've seen over probably the last two years, uh, particularly that there's been more and more uh, people in that sort of 18 to 30-year-old age bracket that are choosing not to consume alcohol um, as regularly. And there's definitely more people who are choosing not to consume alcohol at all, definitely more than my generation, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, so you are ahead of the curve. Can we go back to the start of the story? Because you're a trained psychologist, and I'd love to get into that shortly as well. But let's go back to the start of the Sober story. For anyone who hasn't heard about Sober, can you describe who you are, what you do? Yeah, for
0: sure. So, uh, sober is a non-alcoholic craft beer company or, or broader beverage company these days. Uh, we started back in 2017. We were actually the first non-alcoholic craft beer company to launch in Australia. So we were well ahead of, I guess, the fad that it, that it became. Uh, it really was just an extension of My living story. So I stopped drinking about eight and a half years ago. Back then, there wasn't anything decent for people who were choosing not to drink um, to get. And so I started sort of making drinks for myself. At the same time, we had a small food truck doing all native foods. And being non-alcoholic, it was something pretty cool that we could sell directly out of the food truck and didn't have to worry about licensing and uh, stuff like that. So that's really how it started as something on tap in a small food truck and then more and more there was growing interest in sober and there was more people coming to get beer than um, food at times and so that made us start thinking that there was an opportunity to, to grow this into something of its own.
1: Yeah, and what's caught my eye with Sober is that it's not just your regular beer flavours. You've really incorporated a lot of native ingredients. So when you said that you were brewing those beers yourself in the early days, I could imagine that brewing a non-alcoholic beer that tastes good isn't an easy feat in itself, let alone some of the more adventurous flavours that you're experimenting with.
0: Yeah, I guess it's kind of fortunate for me. I've got a chefing background as well. So before I was a psychologist, so I was a chef, so... Food mapping, food science, um, it's nothing new for me. So, And then I'm an academic, I'm a researcher, so once you know how to research one thing, you can research anything at the end of the day. So uh, kind of pulling all those traits together made it, I guess, more easy for me than it may have been for other people to to go down that path of not only just making non-alcoholic craft beer but uh, doing it in ways that really push the boundaries on what good quality non-alcohol beverages could be
1: yeah gotcha what's your favorite flavor
0: mate generally whatever we're brewing at the time you know i drink so much of the stuff that i really just like to charge into whatever's new and fresh and and that we're working on so um we're quite fortunate at the moment we're we're about to open the new brewery and so we're just about to fire up the new um test kit and, and get into some new stuff but i've definitely been drinking a lot of the um the collab beer that we did with uh, Picking Duck over the last few months, um, which you know was it was a, a lager that we infused with lion's mane mushrooms. So it's good for my <laughs> brain as well as my
1: body. What do the mushrooms do? What are the what are the benefits of the mushrooms? Our lion's mane mushroom are just good for for
0: relaxation really at the end of the day. So there's a lot of research out there showing uh, quite a lot of benefits they can do for for good brain health. Um, we don't use it in huge amounts, but you know, there's enough in there to to make you aware that you are drinking something that is a better choice than you know, a big brand soft drink, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. And peaking Duck, how did the collaboration come about?
0: Uh, yeah, it was something that my wife organized, to be honest. She got in contact with um, their management over some stuff that was running through, through another site. Um, and they were looking at making a beer and, so we just said, "Hey, we can make beer," and they really wanted to make a non out beer to focus on, uh, I guess, some of the, the health challenges that exist within the music industry and the, and the pressure people, performers, feel at times having to consume alcohol all the time. And so they wanted to do something to raise awareness and the possibilities of making some, you know, healthier choices while on tour and while producing and while making music. And such. So that was right in line with what we're all about here at Sober, which is. That you know, being better choice and helping people to have the opportunity for choice and empowering, empowering people through that. So, yeah, we were happy to jump on board.
1: That's cool. Isn't it amazing to have that balance of conversation when you've got brands like Jack Daniels, who are very much into the music scene, trying to present that music and alcohol go hand in hand? And then you've kind of got this counter wave coming through now.
0: It's been interesting to watch. You know, I, I kind of sit back sometimes and I've, I've watched it both in the, I guess, the entertainment industry, but also the sport industry, probably more so in Australia. Like, we're so heavily influenced within sports through advertisement. And, you know, when I was a kid, everything was sponsored by cigarette companies, and we kind of seen that wash out. And then everything was sponsored by alcohol companies. And now that's been replaced by, you know, big gambling. Gambling, yeah. uh, Online gambling. So I'm hoping that we continue to see a transition and that – We'll weed out some of these big money sponsors that, you know, really don't do anything for people's well-being and that there'll be more support for um, for better choices to be advertised because it's really how our kids all get uh, influenced is through watching their heroes in sport and body time. So when they're bombarded with particular advertisements, non-stop, um, It's very interesting that as a society we then sit back and go, why do we have these problems when we've we've literally brainwashed people from a very young age?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. I've I've actually given up the grog from February at the start of this year, so that's six months now and it's nothing on your eight and a half years. Um, But that has been my hardest disconnection is the sporting events and the connotation with sporting and relaxing. So sitting down on a Saturday afternoon, watching a game of footy, without a beer it's like oh this feels weird but after a while it just becomes normal
0: that's what non elk beer is for brother
1: exactly <laughs> I, a, I i bought at christmas i brought a big outdoor fridge to have beer in and it is hundred it is all replaced now with non-alc beer so my friends come oh, over now, just go and go what a waste but i love it <laughs> um it's fantastic but they'll make up with the hangover every sunday morning and you've probably got extra six hours
0: of the weekend that you get to enjoy so
1: Exactly. Was that your motivation at the start to give up? I just wanted my kids to have an
0: opportunity to learn something different to the Aussie normal. You know, drinking has become so entrenched with socialisation and and sports we talk about but also just general socialisation in Australia that I I just didn't want my kids to grow up thinking that you have to consume alcohol to be able to engage with other human beings and to be able to enjoy yourself. Yeah. So I figured if I wanted them to learn something different, I had to
1: Showcase that myself. Yeah, makes total sense. It's the calm before the storm. And unlike George Clooney in the perfect storm, spoiler alert, Shopify wants retailers to come out not just alive, but thriving. Because it's a big deal, especially here in Australia. Last year, Australian merchants ranked third globally. In Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales volume, what an opportunity. So if you want to maximize your share of the peak sales this year, use this time before the storm to download and read Shopify's Peak Season Playbook. They've got 10 experts, including me, to share their tips on how to maximize sales at this time. So put on your life jacket and get your hands on Shopify's free Peak Season Playbook, Download it at shopify.com forward slash plus forward slash guides forward slash peak sales season 2023. Or just follow the links in the episode show notes from the device you are on. Land ahoy. Now, speaking of changing the industry, you mentioned it before your non elk brewery and cafe, uh, as it just opened.
0: Uh, we stopped launch, yeah, a couple of days ago. We stopped launch just to allow people to start coming in, seeing what we're about, um, but more to allow our staff to get, you know, used to everything. Everything's brand new here. Every system, every kettle, everything that we've got here is new. So we know there's going to be bugs, but we want our consumers and our customers to have the best possible experience um, when they come and visit us. And, and we really value all our customers. So, you know, we just wanted to do this soft launch allow us to get people through, iron out any of them bugs and we'll have a big grand opening in, uh, in a month's time or so.
1: How good. Based in Burley, is it the first non-alcoholic brewery in Australia? Absolutely. Um, we're the first dedicated
0: non-alcoholic brewery in Australia. So we're the first market in terms of non-alcoholic craft beer and now we're the first market in terms of a, a dedicated
1: non-alcoholic brewery. Brilliant. So when you're designing a non elk brewery, what do you have to have in mind to make it as vibrant, as fun, as you know, as a regular brewery? Is there anything you need to change?
0: Yeah, we've kind of
1: Stepped away from, I guess, the
0: traditional brew pub model, and we've gone with the brew cafe. So, we're actually focusing on breakfast and lunch uh, here. So, we've got a full native foods cafe set up downstairs where people have the opportunity to come and try a whole range of foods that they may never have had the opportunity to, to delve into before, and, and they'll get the opportunity to pair those beautifully with, with one of our fresh beers. We're not, a, you know, having this brewery has allowed us to. You guarantee that we'll have the freshest non-outcraft beer available in the country as well. We can brew what we need when we need it. We can brew cool, funky stuff constantly, which is the fun side of the industry at the end of the day. So, yeah, hopefully it creates a, a real experience for people and, and that's what of keep, keep people wanting to come back.
1: Chuck a bit of a Peking Duck DJ set over breakfast and away you go. I'm working on it. and then from an e-commerce perspective how does that work into your overall business model yeah
0: so e-commerce has always been a fairly large part of our business model so probably 25 to 30 percent, depending on the time of year of our monthly revenue actually comes through e-commerce and that'll continue if not actually uh, increase and i guess with the the new brewery and our ability to constantly adapt and make new and funky beverages. We can do that in quite a small batch. So what we'll be doing at the moment is like really driving any of those new products that we do directly through e-commerce. Um, we won't necessarily be producing them in amounts that we can get out to all the retailers. So it's something cool for our e-commerce consumers and customers to be able to engage with and keep them involved with the brand and the platform. So that's our our plan at the moment is to make some really cool shit and give people the opportunity to
1: try it first through our e-commerce. That's awesome. And do you have like a subscription available or do you just find that people just come back regularly order when they need it?
0: Uh, We've got subscription models but we also do find that people come back and engage with the website quite frequently particularly when we are small batch brewing and doing new stuff because people are the same as me. They want to try something new constantly so you know if if I've got a new product that's coming out and it's only available on our e-commerce site, then we find there's a lot of people that are coming back just to try those, um, whereas they may go to their, their local bottle shop to or, or, or retail it to, to get one of our mainstream sort of products.
1: Yeah, it's really smart. And that's one of the things that I missed out on in those first couple of months of not drinking was that sense of discovery, especially, you know, I was a bit of a craft brew wanker, so it was you know, being able to discover all these crazy flavours and you're doing that with non-auk. So when people say that non-auk is boring, it's just like, well, if you're picking up the stuff off the off the shelves of Woolies, then, yeah, probably it's going to be boring and watery. But if you look beyond that, the options are definitely opening up.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, we'd like to pride ourselves on thinking that we make some of the most unique non-auk um, craft beers in the world, not just here in Australia. Yeah. Um, through the way that we infuse our products, the majority of our products with different natives and, and, and other infusions. There's no normal here.
1: <laughs> I can imagine that you would have some pretty intense interest from overseas, given that you've done such an amazing job at branding it. I mean, from the artwork on the cans all the way through to the native ingredients, have you had much interest from overseas?
0: We have had interest from overseas, but um, it's difficult when you're a small producer to, to get into those markets. And with the increase in cost, particularly in shipping, uh, at the moment, it's, it's been difficult for us to, be able to really invest uh, in those overseas markets, US and UK predominantly, is where we've had most interest come through. So, um, what we're doing at the moment is trying to work with a couple of small distributors over there just to get a bit of an appetite um, in those markets for, for our products. Uh, with the intent over time to probably shift the contract within really in those countries as a mechanism to to escape some of the shipping costs. So every business is being impacted on
1: yeah that makes sense how are you going with distribution through some of the bigger retailers in australia your dans of the world your bws one and the same really as the out non-out category has grown and got bigger and more of the big players are producing their own zero percent 0.5 percenters is it actually harder to get distribution through those outlets or has it become easier it hasn't necessarily
0: shifted either the direction i think it's um you know, they've got their own strict measures that they use to, to decide or to determine whether or not they should put you into more stores or give you further support, etc. The biggest issue really has been our ability to, to brew our expectation and that's because we're contract work. So now that we've got full control again back in our group here, it'll give, open up a whole bunch of opportunities for us to, to get into further of um, Endeavor Group and, and the other large chains, which we're really looking forward to. You know, Endeavor's actually always been really supportive of our products in terms of their e-commerce, their marketplace. So um, quite often when we've had a new product that we've wanted to get into at Dan Murphy's or BWS, they've allowed us to first sort of pilot on the original marketplace and see a good uptake from that. Um, then they'll come out us to sort of shift it through the store. So e-commerce has again been really integral in terms of us growing those
1: opportunities. Yeah, fantastic. Now you're a proud Camillaro man and you mentioned that you do things differently at Sober. How have you taken some of the principles of your culture, your people, and incorporated them into the business world?
0: Yeah, we do th- do things a little bit different. You know, we'd like to think that we are here for our consumers and our, and our staff, first and foremost. That um, you know, Profit's not... The first thing on our agenda, profit is a necessity when you're in the business world and we need to ensure that the business is running sustainably and profitably because it allows us to then go to to the the social endeavours that we like to invite ourselves in and that we really structure the company around as as a social enterprise. Um, But that's really about understanding connections and the importance of connections and maintaining those connections. So, you know, we really want to ensure that we... That our consumers, our staff, and also our stakeholders actually feel connected to the brand. Uh, And more than just a tag phrase of feeling connected, um, but actually feel included and that they have the opportunity to say that they feel supported in their growth. Um, So we don't try and keep people here, you know, but um, we're, we're really about trying to grow people and then getting to move on into the spaces in the world that they really want to excel in. Um, we're not here to try and hold anybody back. we try and support people who have struggled to, to get into employment opportunities and actually help them to, to gain the stability and skills that they'll need to, again, go off and do what they want to do in the future. And that's been a really, I guess, personally beneficial part of the business for myself and most is to, to see those people that we've been able to help grow. Move out the door. Yeah, most businesses reflect on that and go, "It's bad business practice because there's all your skills and there's all your time and all your energy that you've put in warped, and you've got to start all again." But well, that's that's what we want to
1: see. Have you noticed any parts of the business that are better in being a, in you being able to open up those opportunities or areas that are ripe that you think other businesses should just go? Well, look, these are areas where you can give opportunities. To more people?
0: I think all business can do a better job at giving back, be it to people or to place. I unfortunately think that the whole notion of you know, social, social responsibility and social enterprise even is kind of used as a bit of, of a catchphrase now rather than a lot of entities actually putting their mouth, you know, putting their feet where their mouth is and getting out there and doing the hard yards and being part of community and supporting grassroots and which, is, which has been difficult to sort of to see is, is when different businesses start using social responsibility as, as a marketing way rather than necessarily being first and foremost about doing something good. Um, for us, you know, it's not about marketing. We, we walk everything that we, we talk, you know, so we're really out there trying to ensure that um, we give it back wherever possible. And, yeah, at times that probably costs the business. Uh, but I think it also is what attracts a lot of people to our businesses that they, they can see the legitimacy in, in our story and, and in what we do and they know that we're not just trying to tagline
1: to them. When you talk about giving back, what causes or communities are close to your heart?
0: They had anything to do with the overall holistic sort of well-being of people and place, met, you know, and particularly if it's um, interrelated with culture. You know, we, I'm a true believer that law and culture is the, the strongest protective mechanism that we've got as First Nations peoples for our social emotional well-being and for us to be stronger deadly into the future. But there's been a lot of things over history that have heavily impacted on us being able to maintain those connections that allow us to have you know, that, that strong and, and stable, sense of being. So whatever we can sort of support in that space to help people have those experiences and, and you know, either rebuild, reshape, maintain um, the connections that are important to them is, is what we want to do. So you know, we do things like this is what the Wayne Weaver Foundation, which is a really small foundation that helps um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander prisoners be able to actually get prison release to attend funerals so and sorry business. Whereas most Australians be like, well, who gives the fuck the prisoners? Like, Why should we be supporting them on something? But they don't recognise the impact that there is on people when they're not able to actually go and see loved ones in, in the time of passing and the flow on impacts that they can actually have on whole families and whole communities. So I mm. you know that's something we're really proud of. We, we support the Half Cut Foundation, which is all about protecting the danger from from further logging, um, trying to, to, to buy back and gift back land to cookieology people, the, the traditional owners of that area, so that they can actually use it in ways that prosper the social-emotional well-being of, of, of their own people. So, yeah, it's those small endeavors that help you
1: get It feels like these connection initiatives, activity support would never be found by a traditional HR or social committee at a large organisation, right? How do you, how do you, um, if we've got businesses who are genuinely, genuinely wanting to implement more connection support for First Nations people within their organisation, how would you suggest that they go about doing this in an authentic way? Ah, to be
0: authentic about it, they first have to be able to step back and understand how they play a part in some of the destruction. Yep. You know, we don't try and shy away from the fact we're a manufacturing company. Like at some level, we're causing harm.
1: Yep. And without us
0: having the, uh, the boldness to be able to take that on board and really reflect on it, you're not going to get to the space that allows you to understand the role and responsibilities you actually hold for that. Um, and once you go through that process, then you can start looking at, you know, what opportunities and resources do I have in my business that may allow me to 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 give back and and to do something about that that harm that I'm essentially causing by just existing as an entity, as a business. So I think we need to start looking beyond just how do we recycle, how do we reuse, um, and and get to a point where we're really engaging at a level of consciousness with what is the impact that we have Mm -hmm. as entity and what's more responsible is to that. It's a whole other viewpoint that not many businesses in Australia, I think, would be willing to even reflect on because profit comes first, unfortunately, for many of well. None of us would be profiting if, uh, if Mother Earth under our feet drops dead. Yeah. She's got a really good uh, history of when things aren't going right for her, getting with the things that are not not working and i think we're
1: high on that agenda at present yeah <laughs> <laughs> to be honest yeah. yeah and i love how you frame it around connection that, that everything's interrelated right and obviously um part of your principle there is that you know and then i'm what i'm also hearing is that we're not going to do this as business as usual so we actually need people in our organisations who are already connected to bring these stories forward, these opportunities forward and shed the light on where we're causing damage. But I guess that then also comes with the other side of that is how do you do that in an organisation and not ostracise yourself because, you know, politics in any organisation play a part and it's it could be a lonely road if you put your hand up and try and do that internally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it starts with this I can go out and I can talk all I want to as many businesses. I've run a consultancy company for over a decade. And, um, most of my psychology work is in the face organisational management. Um, I go around telling businesses how to look after their employees and how to you know, ensure that they don't have natural violence and workplace bullying and all this all the time. Um, I can do that all day long, but if people... In positions of privilege and power within those organizations, don't actually listen, which is a different process. Hearing, you know, listening actually requires you to to follow the information that you've heard and, and to, to consider it before then acting, and hopefully acting in a more positive way. Like, if people won't go through that process of listening to people who are trying to offer, uh, assistance in how we can all move together in a, in a more positive way on this planet, particularly in business, then, then we won't actually make much movement. So that's, that's the piece that I think is missing. There's a lot of people ticking boxes at the moment in terms of getting people to come in and have yarns, but there's a lot of people in positions of power that I don't think actually are listening to the things that are being said, digesting that information, really consciously considering it, and then putting actions in place to work in different ways.
1: What do you look for to recognize if people are actually listening or just hearing?
0: Yeah, it's pretty. uh, I guess I've become pretty attuned to it over the years, so I can kind of. You can tell because you can tell by the bodily reaction that you get from someone. When people just hear, hearing is what I do when my kids say, Dad, I want this, Dad, I want that. Like, I literally, you know, it goes in one ear and it goes out the other. I don't respond as such. Whereas when people are listening, there's going to be a response. It won't be a body response or it's going to be a vocalised response. So you'll get some some deeper questioning attack. you know, questions that you can hear some thoughts being put into before it's just been blurted out of her mouth. You'll see people might be sort of just staring off into the distance. You can see they're contemplating what's being positioned to them. So there is telltale signs that would be just be a, it than just, you
1: know, a you <laughs> Any tips for anyone listening to go, oh, I wonder if I'm a good listener or not, that you could just put in place to go, just stop yourself here for a second?
0: Yeah, mate. Number one is you can, it's literally impossible to listen and talk at the same time. Yeah. And that, inter, that includes internal talk. So if you're talking away about what you're going to do at lunch in your own head or who you're going to catch up with on the weekend or, you know, what project you've got due at 4 p.m. on Friday afternoon while somebody's sharing knowledge with you, then you're not freaking listening. Yeah. So people have to become okay with being silent and that's really difficult in the Western world where everybody wants to just run their mouth all day every day. So I think the more people allow themselves to become okay with being silent, they're more likely to be able to listen at a deep rate.
1: Love that. Great tips. Speaking of listening and talking and noise, we've obviously got the voice referendum on the horizon sometime soon. How are you feeling personally around how the shape of the discussion is forming in Australia right now?
0: Yeah, to be honest, I think the whole narrative around it, the whole dialogue, um, particularly from, I guess, parliamentary perspective or government perspective and, and also from media has been really disrespectful. I don't think that it's held what should be at its core and that's actually the social and emotional well-being of those that it's about and that's us hmm. as First Nations peoples. I think it's very much become about legacy, for people uh, on all sides of the debate mm-hmm. and that as soon as that ego side comes into it and it comes about legacy love and it does about human being, then I worry. Uh, we're, we're seeing you know, a lot of increased psychological distress experienced by First Nations peoples all around the country at the moment because we are literally the non-stop, the non-stop object of everybody's discussion and that's told. Like, it, it, it really does take its toll. And if you don't have really thick skin and really strong supporting systems, then, yeah, it's going to impact on your well and, and I'm not sure that there's many people in Australia that are actually stopping and considering that. Mm. There's a lot of people who are expecting First Nations people to be the expert on this. It's out of our hands. It's actually got nothing to do with us now. It's actually in the hands of lobbyists and politicians and lawyers everybody else, um, and we have the same information available to us as First Nations peoples as actually every other Australian does. So the expectation that we should be experts, the expectation that we should constantly have to educate everybody else about the process and what it's it's about and what potentials may come out of that, I think is really unfair um, on the First Nations peoples, but I don't think many people are considering that.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point and one I'm really conscious of as. I speak to First Nation people, especially on the podcast, you. you, I don't expect you to know more than me and I don't expect, you know, we've all got the same information and the same duty of care to investigate this ourselves and that you don't have to speak on behalf of all First Nations people, right? That's not your job. I heard Tony Armstrong on the ABC say something similar. He's like, I'm just one person. Like, I can't speak for everyone.
0: We've got to recognise that there's there's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on all sides of this debate and in the middle, you know. There's people that support yes, there's people that support no and there's a whole bunch of people in the middle who are undetermined or so confused Mm. as there is many other Australians. And we need to allow that space, you know, because at the end of the day, Whatever happens is going to happen, but we all have to be able to move together, particularly as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We're the ones that have to actually reconcile this before anybody else and be able to move forward together and maintain our wellbeing as more in Australia, living in Australia. And so there's, there's so many more considerations that are there for us as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that the majority of Australians don't even have to consider. <laughs> like, it's... And this is all over something that actually isn't even in our heads. It's 3% of the population. Hmm. 97% of the population is actually determining the outcome of this thing. So the reliance on the 3% to do the work, the heavy, heavy lifting and the work for the 97, again, is yep. pretty unfair, you know. You wouldn't do that in any other business. I'm not going to ask 3% of my employees to be doing the work for the 97% of the employees. So yes. it's, um, I just don't think we put some practical sense into this at the time and, and allow ourselves to actually look at it from a sympathetic, never mind empathy, um, position, which means that we... We don't have much compassion mm. because without, without true sympathy and empathy, there is no compassion. And I think that's something that's really been lost throughout this is, is compassion for the impact that this is actually going to have on the wellbeing of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples during and post, despite whatever decision comes
1: Do you know why 99 Bikes is called 99 Bikes? Is it because A... It takes 99 minutes to put the average bike together. B. They originally stocked 99 bikes. Or C. They've recently eliminated 99% of their plastic packaging with the help of Signet. Well, B is the answer, but C is also true. Not only have 99 bikes eliminated 99% of their plastic packaging, they reduce their packaging cost by 60% and packing time by 50% that's plenty more time to swear at those spanners while you put those bikes together. Visit signet.net.au to browse the range and contact the team to find out how they can help take your packaging solutions to the next level. Do you think the original intention, and not to get political, so we don't even have to mention sides or people, but do you think the initial intention behind the voice, the question itself, is actually good, or and it's turned into a political exercise, and like you said, turned into now politicians and lawyers and everything else in terms of turning into a referendum. Do you think the intent was good, or do you think the intent was always misplaced?
0: Uh, I think the other statement of the heart, which was all stemmed from, was a beautiful thing. Yep. It, was, uh, it really was. A wonderful thing to see so many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander come together from all around the country and position what they felt would be in the best interests of our wellbeing moving forward mm-hmm. for our families, for our communities, for us individually. I don't necessarily think that what was posed then is being predicted now. Yes. So I think that's going to be very challenging for many people who who were involved in those discussions, who weren't involved in those discussions, and therefore may have um, concerns as well. Yeah. I do worry that the confusion left by the whole process is going to lead us into a situation that is not going to be. Positive
1: for us as such, well. yeah. Because the Uluru statement of the heart is actually a much broader statement, and the amount of research, discussion, communities that came together to form that was uh, significant, and, and it went over m- many years, didn't it? If, if to bring that together, to uh, yeah, this hasn't been an overnight no consideration. You know, there
0: was there was literally years of of discussion that that occurred behind the we're and, and, and to be honest, there's been years of work behind getting to the point we are now mm. with, with the whole voice in the referendum and, and many, many you know, well-intended people within those discussions. Political process can be a, a beast of a thing yes. at times. And I think political process excludes human being. Yep. You know, we've seen all this during the, the marriage equality debate and, you know, the plebiscite processes was that the human being at the centre of those were largely forgotten. Mm-hmm. And we've seen how disgusting and at times violent the, the discussion actually became and how that literally impacted on the well-being of those, those in those communities. And I think we're, we're doing the same thing again. Yeah. We had an opportunity to learn. We haven't done that. And I think we're gonna see the same thing now for Aboriginal and
1: social. You mentioned some of the the distress, um, serious distress that you've seen First Nations people go through with in, in terms of this, this referendum, and I know that you do some work with Black Dog Institute as well around suicide prevention. What are your tips for being able to have constructive safe conversations with those around us whether it includes first nations people or not right because it can get very emotive how do people have these conversations with relatives with colleagues and actually talk about this in an open forum without it getting personal
0: i think the most important ingredient is to remove emotion we all become emotional about the sides of whatever conflict debate discussion we're having at different times in our lives and as soon as we attach emotion, we we lose sight of, of the actual topic itself. It becomes more about, I want to win over you, yeah. um, rather right. so it becomes a power struggle. And I think whenever we allow those power struggles to come in place, then, there becomes a power imbalance. Uh, be that between partners, be that with other members of your family, be that in the workplace, be that between black and white fellows. I think we always are in these power struggles because we are allowing emotions to drive discussion and rather than being able to take far more objective points of view on particular topics as such. And as I said earlier, you know, often human being is lost out of that through those processes. Egos take over, human beings etc get forgotten and things tend to get inflamed pretty quick. So I think the more we can try and have discussions in a respectful way that is detached from our personal emotions with the topic, uh, the more likely we are to be able to get the information we want to across in a way that doesn't come across as if I'm trying to attack the other person. And if I don't come across as if I'm trying to attack you, you're more likely to allow yourself to listen and consider the information that
1: you present. I love that. And I think it ties back to what you were talking about before was around listening, around actually being open to listening, not just hearing and tolerating until you get your chance to speak. And then also not relying on someone else to educate you. Like there is so much information out there. Go educate yourself. We've we've all got a responsibility for that.
0: Yeah, we don't we don't need that extra cultural load at the moment. Um, you know, we're all in jobs and we're all running our families, same as everybody else, yeah. having to do the extra work of, of educating Australia can be overwhelming.
1: I hear, you. I hear, you. Clinton. Thank you so much for sharing your views and your experiences on that. Finishing off here, sober. Where to next? How? What's the next level for you guys? Obviously, the brewery opening up to the public very soon. What's on your radar for the next 12 months?
0: Yeah, first and foremost is to get local saturation. You know, we're in a funny situation. We start, were in the Gold Coast. This is the last place where non was ever going to sort of take <laughs> off. So the polar opposite to most, I guess, business plans in terms of start local and grow out, we started as far as freaking possible away from the Gold Coast and grew back home. So while we've had awesome uptake in the major cities and, you know, as far away as Perth and Freo, um, the Gold Coast has always been a really difficult market for us. <laughs> so now attitudes have started to shift here a little bit on the Gold Coast. So I wouldn't say they've completely shifted, but they've started to shift here a little bit. So I think it's an opportune moment for us to now refocus back on our local market and to get saturation here at our home, particularly the venue that people can come in and be a part of. We want to continue to drive our retail markets in those capital cities, but we need to relook really look at I guess how we might be distributing through those and make sure that it's actually occurring in a way that is more um cost effective for the business. Uh, and in terms of e commerce, we as I said earlier, we want to make sure that we're just driving people through our e commerce by keeping them connected to the cool products that we want to be putting out of here uh, constantly and making them feel Part of the sober family. Uh, Beyond that, it's uh, to get into those US and those UK markets and just start to establish a
1: bit of a presence in that and a follow you know, those markets. Awesome. Keep pumping out those interesting brews.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, As I said, it's the fun part of the business. Yeah. So anytime we get to fire up the kettle and we're going to throw something new in and we don't really know how it's going to turn out, <laughs> I like, get
1: excited. Just chuck a few more mushies in there, see how you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, ever trade notes with Mick Fanning? No,
0: no, no. He, um, he'd be a busy man, I reckon. <laughs>
1: Nice little partnership there. All right. So if people want to find out more about what you're up to do with Sober, maybe even call into the, the brewery when it opens, what's the best way for them to get in touch and have a look? Um, yeah, go to
0: our website, sober.com.au. And you'll find us there. And your the address here is at uh, 314 uh, Early
1: Connections, right at Burley Heads, uh, right central to the Gold Coast. And we look forward to having everybody through. Beautiful. Clinton,
0: thanks for joining us on Add to Cart. It's my absolute
1: I actually feel like we should leave the episode right there so we can stop and reflect on Clinton's advice and challenges. But in the interest of consistency and you not thinking I'm just copping out of some work and opinions, here are the three biggest takeaways I took from our chat. Number one, we need to be better listeners. Whether we're talking about national issues, such as the upcoming referendum, in our e-commerce businesses, or even in our personal lives, the number one message and takeaway. I got from Clinton is that we have to be better listeners. Leave our emotions at the door. Don't try and get across our viewpoints, and most importantly, keep our mouths shut sometimes. Almost become detached from the conversation in order to listen. Be comfortable in the silence and reflect before returning serve. I've tried that recently and it really, really does open up conversations. Number 2, backyard experiments. I know Clinton has an amazing background as a psychologist, but I didn't know about his chefing background. I love that he's been able to poke around the Australian backyard to find interesting ingredients, such as mushrooms, to make flavours that help Sober stand out. And it also makes them more appealing to international markets. We have so many unique opportunities here in Australia, whether that be through ingredients or where we source products from, that can help us stand out on the world stage. Let's utilise them. And number three, genuine connections. Clinton stressed the importance of establishing connections for his team, customers and the Indigenous community. It's about understanding what is important to those around you, and owning up to where you play a role or you could play a role in making those connections. Whether this be a connection to a new opportunity, to finances, to family, to time, to earth, or to otherwise, little moments of facilitating connection can make big long-term impacts. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addtocart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary, links, and discount codes for you to go next level on. And if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, come and visit us at eSuite. We're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in Australia. Head on over to eSuiteTalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep those customers adding to cart.